can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. I want to start with a little uh, story. Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. He was considered one of the greatest Supreme Court justices of all time. Uh, One time he was asked about his choice of vocation, and he said this, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. C.S. Lewis, I think, was the one who said the greatest argument for Christianity is Christians, and one of the greatest arguments against Christianity is also Christians. We should be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. But a lot of times we're no more joyful than uh, anyone else. You know, I would like to be joyful all the time. I know I should be joyful all the time. But how? Philippians talks about joy 13 times. 13 times. uh, Twice, just in this one short little paragraph. Uh, It's one of the major themes in the book of Philippians. It's probably a great place for us to begin to think about how do we find ourselves filled with joy. I want us to read chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Six verses, seven commands. That's not atypical for Paul. He gets to the end of the letter, and it's like he's got a few more things he wants to say that he didn't really artfully weave in, and so he goes, bang, 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 bang. Seven commands, six verses. In the first verse, he tells us to rejoice, and he tells us twice. He commands us to rejoice twice. Now, uh, from the way I've always thought about joy, that's a little bit different. I normally think of joy as a consequence or a byproduct. Don't you? You know, if I do certain things, or if I have certain attitudes, the result will be joy, right? What Paul is saying here is joy is a command. Joy is obedience. Rejoice is an imperative. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a commandment. It's not, I'm, cer- I'm certain that it is also a result or also a consequence, but here what he's saying is you are commanded to be joyful. It is your obligation. It is your duty. It's disobedience not to be joyful. So how? How do we do it? Where do we begin? I want to give you three thoughts this morning. It's the final passage that we'll be studying the book of Philippians, and I want to leave you with three ideas about joy. The first is that we must relinquish our false joys for the one true joy. Look at chapter 4 again, verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Notice he says, Rejoice in the Lord. That may be the simple and central message of the book of Philippians. Joy is found only in the Lord. That's it. That's it. Joy is in the Lord. Joy is no place else. Joy is found in the Lord. Rejoice, Paul says, in the Lord. That's where you're supposed to find your joy. This week I went online. I found Webster's definition for joy. That's a good place to start. Are we all working from the same page? And this is what Webster's says. 
Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. Let me read that to you again. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. Is that the biblical definition of joy? No, it's completely contrary. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And the fact of the matter is none of us always has good circumstances. Joy, by its biblical definition, is completely independent of circumstances. It transcends circumstances absolutely. Rejoice in the Lord always. Webster's definition goes on like this. It says, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And I thought, you know, that gets a little closer to it. The prospect of possessing what one desires. If what I desire is the Lord, then I have not just the prospect, but I have the confidence that I will possess the Lord one day. And the Lord will possess me one day. And that can be the source of absolute and true joy. Not the first part of the definition, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. In fact, Paul will say, if you're trying to find your joy in well-being, success, or good fortune, it will always let you down. Joy is found, true biblical joy is found only in the Lord. Let's trace the theme through the book of Philippians. Like I said, it's all over. Turn back with me to chapter 3, verse 1. Same idea. Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you revive your concern for me. He's not rejoicing in them. He's rejoicing in the Lord in them. Turn back toward the beginning of the book, chapter 2, verse 17. Paul writes, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. It's an imperative. And Paul says, even if my life is like a sacrifice, it's like a drink offering that's being poured out upon the sacrifice of your lives and what you've done, I still rejoice because my, re- my joy is not found in my circumstances. My joy is found in Jesus Christ. And you are living for Christ And I'm giving myself for your sake, for Christ. You're living for Christ. I am living for Christ. So regardless of the circumstances, I have joy. And notice he says, rejoice in the same way. What's the same way? Well, we've talked about this. This is chapter 2, what he's been talking about. Chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What is the one purpose? It's Christ. Philippians has a beautifully simple message, and that is with Christ at the center of your life, everything will make sense. It's not a guarantee that all circumstances will be pleasant, but you can have joy. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. James picks up the same theme. Remember, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Which is just crazy. You know, if, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that's just crazy talk, right? Count it all joy. Consider it. Reckon it to be all joy. Where do you find joy? James says, in trials, in suffering, in difficult circumstances. That is where you find joy. Why? Because 
in those circumstances, that's where God forms your character and makes you more like Christ. And if you actually want to be like Christ, then you look at that trial and you can say, yes, I can embrace that trial because I want to be like Christ. And I want others to see Christ in me. I want to live for Christ. James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Paul says in Galatians that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. We manifest the fruit of the Spirit when we are under trial. What we really believe in, what, what we really are hoping for in life is manifested when we begin to get squeezed. Right, in the midst of those times where the pressure is coming upon us, that idea of tribulation has the idea of, of literally of pressure. It's pressure bearing down upon us and circumstances begin to squeeze us and what we really love most begins to come out. It leaks out in the sides and people see it. And if we are loving most Jesus Christ and living most for Jesus Christ, then when the trials come, you know, it's going to come out. Joy is going to come out. Not necessarily happiness. I remember one of the the greatest distinctions someone made for me one time was distinguishing between joy and happiness. Happiness, by its very nature, is rooted in my circumstance. Perhaps. Perhaps. Happenstance. Happenings. It's just, it's completely circumstantial. And happiness is not a bad thing. I like it. I want more happiness. I do. I want fewer bad circumstances, more good circumstances. But joy is something that actually transcends that. It's much deeper. It's that sense of strength and confidence that nothing can unravel me because I'm clinging to Christ. I want Christ most. So when pressures of life come, the fruit of the Spirit begins to come out. What is your character actually like? What do you really long for most? If it's Christ, then you will experience joy. If your joy is in the Lord. So where do we begin? I think one of the places we begin is we've got to look in our own lives and identify what are the false joys that we're going after. Because they're there and a lot of times they've been with us so long that we don't identify them. We have to identify what are the false joys that we really, there's part of us believes that I can find joy somewhere else other than Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called The Pilgrim's Regress. In it, he said, what does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. What does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. We thought it was, and we chased after it, and then we got it. We go, oh. And the Bible, and I would even argue not just the Bible, but human experience has demonstrated to us time after time after time that there is only joy in Jesus Christ, just Christ. There's no joy in pleasure, ultimately. Lord Byron, this man who lived a life of pleasure, he wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. I don't even know what a canker is, but I don't want it, whatever it is. He had all kinds of pleasure, but at the end of his life, he said, I'm I'm miserable. Joy is not found in money. Jay Gould, American multimillionaire, when he was dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. He didn't find it in wealth. Another British man looked for it in position and fame, Lord Beaconsfield. He wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. 
Joy is not found in earthly glory and earthly accomplishment. Alexander the Great conquered all the kingdoms of the world, and when he had conquered all of them, he went into his tent and he wept, and he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Now what? Can you imagine being Alexander the Great and saying, now what? Now what do I chase after to fill my life and make it rich and meaningful? Because I've conquered all the kingdoms of the earth. It's not found independently from God. Voltaire wrote, I wish I had never been born. Another one of C.S. Lewis's books, Surprised by Joy, he said, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about joy. It was one of his, his primary themes that he wrote about. And what he said was, he said that God has created in us, he stirred within us this sense of longing. We long for something. We spend our lives trying to figure out what is it that we long for. And a lot of times we, we mistake this sense of longing for this object over here. And so we go and we chase after it and we discover it's not there. He says that sense of longing is actually a longing for Christ. It's a longing, he would write, to be united with Christ, to be caught up with Christ. It's a longing that will ultimately not be satisfied in this life. And we're fools when we try to find it in substitutes in this life. It can't be found. It's only found in Christ. So we've got to identify in our lives what are the substitutes that we've been chasing after and then set them aside for Christ. Turn back with me again, chapter 4 and verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. That word for gentle is a little bit difficult to translate. Basically, uh, what it refers to is um, being so strong in yourself that you're willing to surrender your rights. It's, It's a relinquishing of rights. Gentleness is the opposite of grasping and clinging. Again, it's one of the big ideas that Paul's been working on in the book of Philippians. It's not grasping. It's not clinging. It is a relinquishing. It is yielding your rights. It is one of the most essential characteristics of being like Jesus Christ. Keep your place here in Philippians and turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. Peter says, for you have been called for this purpose. Why are you here? What's your, what's your purpose in life? What are you doing here? You've been called, Peter says, for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. This is the way to live life. This is the pathway. Look, right down there, there's step after step after step. It's the example of Christ. And here it is. Who committed no sin. He lived a righteous life, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That is, he surrendered absolutely all of his rights. And Peter says, this is the way to live. You want to have joy in life? Then give up all of your rights. Allow others, in a sense, to abuse you for the sake of Christ. That's crazy. What Peter says, what Paul says, and what Jesus says is if you want to really experience life in its fullest and its riches and to have joy and peace and fulfillment, then what you've got to do is you've got to go low if you want to get high. 
You want to be great, then you've got to be a servant. It's completely backwards. God says, I have wired the universe, and to you it looks like I crossed the wires. But I didn't. This is the only way that life works. You want to be great, be a servant, be a slave of others, surrender all of your rights, and then you'll be exalted and you'll be rich and filled. It's crazy. But this is the only path to true joy. And I will tell you, if I'm perfectly honest with myself, I say to myself, you know, I really do want joy, but I don't want it that way. <laughs> I don't know if you ever thought that to yourself, but I, I, really, I really want joy, but I really, oftentimes, I try to work to find another way to get it. Because I look at that and I go, ooh, I don't know. Ah, that's awfully costly. Yes, if anyone wishes to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, live as a dead man, surrender all his rights. You want life, go to death. You want to be great, serve. You want to be joyful, surrender all of your rights. And set aside all false joys and pursue only Christ. I go, do I really want it that bad? If you really desire joy, it's only found in Jesus Christ. That's it. Just Christ. And one of the first things we have to do is we have to identify what are the false joys that we're going after in our lives. If only. If only I had this. If only I had that. If only these circumstances were taking control of or managed, then I would have joy. Joy is not just a consequence. Joy is a command. It's an imperative. And it starts by putting my joy in the Lord, consciously saying that is where I will find my joy. Second exhortation, replace anxiety with petition and thanksgiving. Turn back with me to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Be anxious for nothing. I remember one time I was doing a Bible study in Philippians and I read that, be anxious for nothing, and I thought, I can obey that. Be anxious for nothing, for no good reason. Just be anxious. I can do that. <laughs> I don't think that's what he means, does it? No, okay. No, be anxious. Don't be anxious for anything. That's what he's saying. Be an- don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Last week, Blake gave me a a really uh, interesting statistic. This is from the American Institute of Stress. They estimate that between 75 to 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are for stress-related problems. Stress is the modern word for the Greek word anxiety. Circumstances come into my life. And I don't like them. They're not pleasant. And I think that they need to change in order for me to experience joy. But I can't change them. I'm powerless to change them. I have no control over changing them. And I experience anxiety or fear or tension because I'm powerless to change something that I believe that I must have if I'm going to be joyful and fulfilled and satisfied in life. That's stress. Why is it that people can face the same circumstances and some, they don't experience physical problems. They're not manifested in their life. They're not having heart attacks and 
insomnia and they can't sleep and all different kinds of things like that or they're not experiencing fear emotionally. It's the same circumstances in life, but they continue to cruise on. Why is that? How can some people do that? Well, it has to do with their response, not the circumstances themselves. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Don't, don't worry about things that are beyond your control and things that you actually don't have to have managed in order to be joyful. I, I can manage those. Notice the absolute nature of this command. Be anxious for nothing. Wow. But in everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Paul's not saying do nothing. He's saying be anxious for nothing. I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked to his followers about a similar theme. And he wasn't saying do nothing either. He was saying be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about things. Chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried. Same word. Do not be anxious about your life. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? That's uh, that's humor there. I I think people would have laughed. Aren't you you worth a little more than that? Yeah. More than a bird? Yeah, you are. You're worth a lot more. Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil. Oh, they don't work really hard. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, let me reorient your your focus in life and seek first the kingdom of God. He's not saying do nothing. He's saying seek eagerly after the kingdom of God. And he's not saying be foolish. Look at Proverbs. Remember, reminds us, says, look at the ants. They store up. Be wise. Take good action. Be prudent, but don't worry and replace your worry with trust and confidence that you worship a good God who genuinely and deeply loves you. And you can trust him. That's what he's saying. He's not saying do nothing. He's saying replace your worry and your anxiety over managing all of your life circumstances with trust in who God is. Focus on who God is. You can trust him. There's one caveat here, he says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Through prayer and petition, these are asking. Let your requests, the things that you ask for, let them be made known to God. Why are you, why are you praying and asking these things before, before God? Does he not know what you need? No, he already knows. What you do when you pray is you remind yourself that God knows. You remind yourself that the God that you're praying to loves you and cares for you. That's what you do through prayer. It's not that God is unaware. Oh, oh, sorry, Matt, I forgot about you for a minute. No, he didn't. He's got all of your needs. 
right in the forefront of his mind and his thoughts and his care and concern for you. But when you pray, you remind yourself, God knows. And when you turn around and he says, you add with those supplications, those requests, God, these are the circumstances in my life that I'd like for you to manage and take control of. And I trust you and I thank you. And you begin to go through the process of thanksgiving to God. It transforms your perspective completely. Earlier, Johnny read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18. Same idea. Rejoice always. Again, it's a command. Do it always. All circumstances. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Prayer and thanksgiving are just tied right together. In everything, give thanks. Anybody in here ever own a record player? Any owners of record players? Well, higher percentage because students are gone, right? <laughs> uh, one time we were, we were in a restaurant, a little diner, and uh, kind of, you know, nostalgic diner. We're sitting there with our kids, and um, up on the walls, they had records up there. You know, the big records, big black records up on the wall everywhere. And Benjamin, uh, who's a few years younger, and he looked up and he goes, look, Daddy, that's the biggest CD I've ever seen. He had never seen a record. We sold all our records at half-price books you know, years ago. I, haven't, I don't own any records anymore. He'd never seen a record. If you owned a record player, and I, I feel sad for you if you never did, you should go buy one. You can probably get one for a dollar, pawn shop or something, and buy a record. Go buy a record. Okay? It's a black disc with grooves in it. Okay? And what you do is it spins, and there's a needle. And as it's spinning, you know, these records, they always get scratched up and scraped up. It's just, you know, it's inevitable. Uh, it's not digital. It's a mechanical system. So they're spinning. What happens is they get stuck. There's a little, a nick gets in there and they just go, you know, and so the same one single rotation of sound, it just, it keeps going. It's going over and then it sticks and it sticks and it sticks and it sticks and it sticks. And it's really annoying. You know, sometimes it happens with CDs, but then you can just rub sauce on them and they're good to go, right? Stick them back in. But you can't do that. You can't do that with a record, right? It's just sticking. It's going, so what do you have to do? You got to nudge it. You got to get it out of that groove and put it into a new groove or it will stay there all day. And that groove will just get deeper and deeper. That little needle is just going to grind it deeper and deeper. You got to just nudge it or you just pick it up and you move it. That's, that's what Thanksgiving is emotionally for us. And we are stuck in a groove. I got to have this. I got to have that. If only, if only, if only. Oh, God. Oh, and I'm just, oh, and I'm, you know, and increasingly my dissatisfaction is growing. My anger is growing. My bitterness is growing. My frustration is growing. And Thanksgiving is just, it's picking the needle up and putting it in a new groove. And sometimes it's very mechanical. I just pick it up and I go, okay, God, I'm thankful. Thankful I'm alive, I guess. <laughs> I'm thankful. I'm thankful the sun is shining. It's raining today. Hmm. All right, I'm thankful for the rain. I'm thankful because the rain brings up these plants. I'm, you know, and I am thankful. I'm thankful that we have trees in our yard, and we've lived in places where we didn't have any trees. I'm thankful, Lord, the trees are green. Lord, I'm thankful we have a house to live in. And I'm, I really, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful, Lord, that I have kids. Thank you. We prayed a long time for those kids. I'm thankful. I'm thankful we have food. I'm thankful, Lord, I have a job. I'm thankful, and I start, and you know, pretty soon, I'm putting, I'm putting a new groove in. You know, and it does feel mechanical at first, but as I do that, it, cha- it begins to change my perspective. My circumstances haven't changed yet, but my perspective has because I've begun to rehearse all of the blessings that I have in life. 
I am grateful. I'm grateful that I'm here today. It was a stressful morning. This morning was a stressful week. Yeah, was it kind of difficult getting here and getting everything going? And forgot that I was even supposed to do announcements and, you know, things just scattered. But, you know, I'm thankful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. I love what I get to do. I love that I get to study the Word of God. And then I get to teach the Word of God. And there are weeks where I feel like I don't have enough time and I get really stressed and anxious. Lord, what is the Word? Am I going to have anything to say? I go, gosh, I, wish I just wish I wasn't doing that a job. Maybe I should get a different job. And I grow anxious. And I have to pull that needle out of that groove and put it back in and remind myself, Lord, I am thankful. Circumstances are not perfect in my life, but I have so much to be thankful for. And when I lay my petitions before the Lord with an attitude of thanksgiving, I'm given a promise. The peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, meaning Brian Fisher certainly can't explain it. It surpasses comprehension. It will guard your hearts and your minds where? In Christ Jesus. Peace and joy are, are tied tightly together. It's, it's just in Christ. You want peace, but you want peace because you've fixed all your circumstances. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But the peace of God, which surpasses anything you can even imagine, you're going through really difficult circumstances, and somehow you know a settled calmness from the Lord that is only found in Jesus Christ. He uses a really vivid imagery here. Uh, it's, it's a garrison. It will guard your hearts. Remember, Philippi is in Macedonia. It's not in Italy, but it's a Roman colony. So there's a a Roman garrison stationed in Philippi. Every day, they would see Roman soldiers guarding their city. And Paul uses that very word that gives them the image that there's a guard set around your heart guarding it because you have set your hope and your joy in Christ. He does not promise them that their circumstances will change. He promises them that they can know a peace that is beyond explanation. When they identify the things that are false longings, they set them aside for Christ. They let all of their requests be made known before the Lord with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, because what you have given me today is enough for me to honor Christ in my life. Thank you. Then I can know the peace of God which surpasses comprehension. Third imperative Remove the lies and live truth. Again, turn back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Remember their circumstances. These folks are suffering. These folks are experiencing persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ, which means probably confiscation of property, maybe for some of them imprisonment. Some will almost certainly, if they haven't died already, some will be put to death for the sake of Jesus Christ. Uh, They're experiencing ridicule. Some of them probably been rejected by their families, put out of the family will, thrown out of the family house. They, They are experiencing persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ. And what is the temptation when you're suffering? You look at your circumstances. I do. 
And how can I fix those circumstances and manage those circumstances? And what Paul is doing is he's trying to reorient their perspective and have them set their minds on something else. He says, dwell on these things. Reckon on these things. And set your mind on these things. Consider them as true because they are true. And be controlled by these truths, not your misunderstandings and misinterpretation of your circumstances that you can't control. No, set your minds on these three things. And I think he gives them three categories of things to set their minds on. First, the things that are true. Things that are absolutely true. Keep your place here in Philippians and turn back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus is in the middle of a debate with the Pharisees. And it's gotten pretty aggressive. Chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar. He is actually the father of lies. He's originator of lies. How does Satan operate? Well, fundamental to his strategy is that he lies. He tries to deceive you. And men and women, we rarely scrutinize the thoughts that are running through our minds and controlling our emotions and our behaviors during the day. And frequently there are lies that have worked their way in and and they are controlling us. And you need to identify what are the lies that you may be, be believing, the things that you're saying to yourself, if only I had such and such, if only this circumstance were changed, if only, if only, if only. The lies that we believe, we've got to identify them. This is Satan's strategy in our lives. Now, I, I used to do, uh, I did junior high ministry for a while. And I remember interacting with junior high kids from time to time. And, and they would go from... Uh, basically being egomaniacs to being in the pit of despair. And it could take moments or hours or a day or two. And that they would move from you know, egomaniacal to despondent and, and despairing. You know, uh, this kid would be the absolute greatest athlete on his team, maybe in the world. And then he'd, he'd be, go to the place where he has no friends, no everyone hates me at school. And you know, neither of these things were probably true at all. Probably wasn't the greatest athlete in the world, he may have been okay. And he probably wasn't hated by everyone. He probably had a couple friends and then a few people hate him. You know, but, but the truth was somewhere around in here. But the fact of the matter is when he was here or he was here, this was his truth, so to speak. This was what was controlling his emotions and his attitude. And it was so difficult for him to even listen to truth because his emotions were drowning out everything else. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true... Examine the thoughts that are running through your mind. Examining, is that record stuck? And it keeps spinning on something that is not true. If only. If only, if only, if only. When in fact, if your joy is in Christ, if you are living to honor Jesus Christ, then no matter what circumstances come, you can have a rich and satisfying and fulfilling life. Because you can honor Christ In suffering, and you can honor Christ in abundance. That's why Paul could say, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is to gain what? To gain Christ. And Paul could say, I'm content. I might get released, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to honor Christ. Or they might put me to death, but in my death, I'm certainly going to try to honor Christ. Pray for me that whether I live or die, I honor Christ. Or whether I continue to suffer and remain in prison, I honor Christ. 
And if that is the fundamental truth in my life, then circumstances can't rattle me. Paul says, finally, brethren, meditate upon, set your mind upon what is true. Identify what are the lies Satan is telling you and change those lies with truth. Second category of things, those things that are honorable, righteous, and pure. Our culture is is boiling us slowly, Christians. We are bombarded with immorality, And foolishness everywhere. Foolishness is exalted in our culture. And it's just gotten turned up slowly, 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 slowly. I think about where our culture was just when I was a kid compared to where it is now. And it has moved so far in just 30, 40 years. And it's continuing on the same path, the same direction. Christians, you need to think about what are you letting influence the way that you think and what you believe. Think particularly about the entertainment that you allow to come into your mind, into your kids' minds, into your home. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you think. And it may not do it immediately, but it will do it subtly, slowly. Meditate upon things that are honorable, righteous, and pure. That's not being legalistic. That's just being wise. Do you want to think truly? Then put truth into your mind. Third category, things that are lovely, of good repute, excellent, worthy of praise. Here I think Paul is moving beyond even just scriptural truth. He's talking about, in a sense, all of creation, what God has made. Set your mind upon the things that are lovely and beautiful, things that are excellent, and that's, that's moral excellence, skillfulness, things that are worthy of praise. They're everywhere around you. Things in nature. The beauty of nature that can be enjoyed for the sake of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of that sunset, for the beauty of that, that field and that tree. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of that bird and his song. Thank you, Lord, for that piece of art or that piece of music. Thank you for the skill that you've given Tim that he can worship while he's creating and he's using his skills and his gifts and Daniel and Aaron and Ross that can use their skills in order to worship God and Brittany can sing and she can use her voice and we can thank the Lord for it. And that's beauty. These are things that are excellent and worthy of praise or you're writing, you're creating, you're thinking and you're doing it for the sake of Christ. These are the things that reorient our minds. And then Paul says we go on and we live. We put all of these things into practice. The things you've learned, Paul says, and received and heard and seen in me. Practice or imitate these things. Second promise, the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that beautiful? The peace of God will be with you and the God of peace will be with you. As we close, what I'd like for you to do is to ask the Lord to examine your heart. Are there false loves that have begun to creep in, things that you you believe you must have. You know, it's interesting, in Romans chapter 1, the first step toward idolatry in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, is a failure to give thanks. And then they move on toward idolatry. Are there things that we've begun to say, I must have that? Well, that's idolatry, it's worship. What's replacing Christ? Let's take some time to, to meditate upon that. And then I'd like for you to think, uh, and plan for this summer. Okay, summer, you know, schedules break down, scru- structure gets changed, kids are out of school, you take vacation, you're in work, out of work. Let's think through 
a plan. Begin to plan this week. How are you going to put Christ at the center of your life for this whole summer? How are you going to put Christ at the center of your life for your whole family? How are you going to help your family to meditate on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, whatever is good repute, the really excellent things? How are you going to help your family do that for the summer? Let's take a few moments and meditate before the Lord, and then let me close us in prayer. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak very clearly and directly to each one of us. Lord, I pray that we would, in wisdom, set aside foolish pursuits that always leave us empty. I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to find our joy just in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the study of this book that really helped us to refocus our attention on Christ Pray, Lord, that you would continue to cause its truths to to stir in our minds and our hearts and transform the way that we think, our attitudes, our emotions, uh, our whole orientation in life. Father, we thank you for Christ. It's through him that we have life and we have hope, we have joy, we have peace. Thank you for giving him to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.